0: continue this year in through the time of the of HaMikdash of battles and dividing the land Yeshua had led the Jews to victory he called Eretz Yisrael Eretz Canaan and then it was seven years of war and then seven years time it took to divide the land among the twelve tribes of Israel during this time the Jews were successful throughout they followed Yehoshua as loyally as they had followed Moshe Rabbeinu, and in a certain respects even more so, because in the time of Moshe there were many rebellions, revolts against Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, acts of disloyalty to Hashem, at the time of Yehoshua, only the chosen ones, the good ones, the perfect ones, remained alive, and they followed implicitly the orders of Yehoshua as though it had come from Moshe Rabbeinah directly. It was one thing that they were lacking in. And this is what caused the misfortune for the generations to come. They missed out on one mitzvah, one that we mentioned last week as a major one. When Hashem says to a Jew to be kind, to extend yourself, help another Jew at your own expense, your own sacrifice, he must do so the furthest degree possible. At the same time, when Hashem says to a Jew, be harsh, be heartless, be rough, have no consideration, then it is as great a mitzvah then to be cruel as it is a mitzvah to help a person in need. Here Hashem had commanded the Jews, for your own benefit, when you go to war, have no pity, have no mercy on your enemies. Destroy them, obliterate them completely. Leave no trace, no vestige of Goyim in Eretz Yisrael. This was not complied with. They were victorious. They did wipe out their enemy, but they left remnants of these nations behind. Now, these remnants remained there as a threat to the Jews. They were very weak, they were very inferior to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish armies. But later on, <coughs> when the Jews turned away from Hashem, these small bands and remnants grew, became very powerful and actually overpowered. The Jews subdued them and enslaved them. And this we find in the first chapter after the passing of Yehoshua, Yeshua passed away at the age of 110, the same as Yosef HaTzaddik. After his passing, the Jews remained loyal to Hashem. The Jews remained loyal because they recalled very clearly the miracles they had seen through Yeshua. So that generation was a perfect one. When this generation passed away, there was a transformation that took place. Something that we can well understand today. To understand it clearly, You've surely had this question placed to you. It's a very unpleasant question by skeptics, those who do not have faith. When I ask you, when you're told stories in the Torah about miracles that occurred, about the greatness of Hashem, about uh, parts of history which show, display (coughs) the Jews as a superior nation in all heavenly respects, especially the supernatural events that took place, the dividing of the waters of the Red Sea, throughout (coughs) the era of the rabbis of the Talmud, the many miracles they performed, the question is asked, what proof do you have? Give us proof. And of course, you cannot prove faith. Faith is something you must be endowed with, blessed with in your heart. It says, which, of course, is richly rewarded eventually. But there's no such thing as giving proof to faith. Even when there is proof, many times we must hide that proof, because by displaying this proof it shows a lack of faith. This question of proof, asked by these skeptics, is one that proves in itself their complete lack of faith. And This is what occurred at that time. The Jews had gone through a series of such supernatural events, miracles they had seen through Yeshua, the miracles of the battles. There was no question of lack of faith in it. But the next generation that had not seen this, they were only told so by their parents. They began to doubt this. These were stories told to them. They wanted to have proof. So this was the beginning of the downfall. After Yeshua's passing, after the passing of the entire generation, the Jews began to turn to other faiths also. Difficult as it may seem to believe, but they turned away from faith in Hashem because they studied the other faiths. They enjoyed... There was a drawing power, magnetic power, there, because that's the power of the Yetzirah. That Yetzirah drew them away from Hashem Drew them away from their loyalty to Hashem and ultimately brought the anger of Hashem upon them. As long as the Jews were loyal to Hashem and their faith, Hashem was on their side and they were never in danger. The moment they strayed, they wanted from Hashem's faith. Then suddenly the other nations began to grow, to wax powerfully, and The Jews found themselves in extremely grave danger, as we find in the very next generation. When they left to serve to worship idols, an angel of heaven came to them, repeated the whole story, their entire history. It's a very short history, the time that they had been in Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, the miracles of the ten plagues, the plagues of the sea, the miracles in the desert, receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, hearing Hashem's voice, going through 40 years of the desert, and finally, ultimately, coming into Eretz Yisrael in a series of victories with the help of Hashem. Now, how come that you turn away from Hashem, the angel asked. There was no answer for this. There was no excuse for it. But the result was, that because they did not listen to the warnings, they did not heed this warning of the angel, Hashem sent Kushan Rishasayim, one nation of the Canaan upon them, and this nation was successful in enslaving the Jews. It wasn't an ordinary slavery. It placed heavy taxes upon the Jews, harassed them endlessly, and the Jews were tormented for a period of eight years until finally the first leader of the Jews rose up. His name was Osniel Ben-Knaz. Osniel Ben-Knaz was the first leader of the Jews after Yahshua. He was a very holy tzaddik, very learned tzaddik. He says one of the most learned people in history because he brought back all the Torah that had been forgotten by the Jews until that time. He led the Jews for a period of 40 years, during which time there was peace. He taught Torah to the Jews, taught them faith in Hashem once more, and they had a an era of peace. Starting with Osniel, the leaders of the Jews were each called Shoftim, That's the name of the second book of the Navi, the Prophets. Shoftim means Judges. They were not kings. There were no kings yet until a later generation. Each one of the leaders was called a judge because he was both a leader, a commander of the Jews, also a leader in Hebrew law. So he acted as a judge in case of trials, in case of questions of law, both a judge and a leader the first judge being Osniel. After Osniel's passing, after this era of 40 years of peace, the country, the nation of Moab, now rose up, became powerful because the Jews again deserted their faith in Hashem. And the king of Moab, Eglon, began to also enslave the Jews to harass them, Each time the Jews found themselves in such dire circumstance, they couldn't but help themselves to turn back to cry out to Hashem for help. And here again the Torah shows us that again and again the Jews displayed a remarkable disloyalty to Hashem, and when they came back crying to Hashem, Hashem did not say, don't come crying back to me, you've deserted me. Each time they came crying, Hashem took them back, placed His wing of protection over them, and brought them back to their former status. This is the infinite kindness of Hashem. And here the Benazel tells us very clearly that any Jew who would study this book of history, the wars, the battles against the kings, the different judges in Israel, the experiences that the Jews had then, will find that this is simply a history of himself. Each Jew can find himself in this history. The rise and descent of the Jewish nation is repeated within every single Jew. This can happen even many times in one day. The Jew may find that in the morning he goes to shul, he dobbins with a lot of kavana, a lot of intent, he leaves the shul, goes to business, and he forgets himself he becomes engrossed deeply in business, forgets his real mission, motive in life, forgets about Hashem, about religion, and then he reminds himself suddenly and says, there is something more vital, more important that I'm here for. So this is a downfall, and then again he arises. There's a new spirit of flame kindled within him. He rises up to a height, and he's accepted by Hashem. This was a battle. This was a loss, a defeat for a while, a temporary one, and then again he he enjoyed a victory. These are similar to the battles that are found in the history of the Jews. So that if a Jew wants to know anything about directions, which direction to turn for himself, he needs only to study the history of the Jews and find the same warning, the same advice that Hashem gives, come to me and you will succeed in everything. If you need a better job, don't go to the one ads, don't go helping, seeking the aid, the assistance of friends or others. Turn to Hashem. If you want a good job or you want you want to make a a good living, go to shul, take out a safe at the hill and, and pray to Hashem. If your prayer is sincere, you'll find that somehow a light begins to shine from somewhere, we could never have suspected it would come from there, but the assistance comes suddenly. I Hashem's blessing, as does every type of blessing, every type of fortune. So here too, when the Jews were, were downtrodden by Eglon the king of Moab, they turned to Hashem, they began to cry, Dab very intently, and Hashem listened to their cries. So he sent the next shofet, the next judge, whose name was Ehud. Ehud was a, when who was fit to be a judge, he was a tzaddik. He was also a good fighter in the military sense. Very courageous person. He had one unique item about him, and that he was left-handed. Eter-yad. And this served to benefit him. It was still at the time when the Jews were subservient to Eglon, the king of Moab, and they were forced to bring gifts to appease the king. Ehud appointed himself as an emissary to the king. He brought a special large gift to Eglon one day. When he came there, (coughs) Eglon was sitting in his private room with his guard around him, and of course, they would be wary of anyone walking into the king's quarters. Perhaps he might be carrying a weapon, would want to harm the king. Now Eglo placed a de- at his Ehud. Ehud, the leader of the Jews, placed a dagger on his right side. In the case of a dagger, a sword, is held on the opposite side. A right-handed person would have his sword on the left side. It's pulled drawn diagonally. Ehud, being left-handed, had his sword on his right side, it was a small sword, a dagger, and it was hidden by his garment. He came before the king and showed that his left side was bare. There was no weapon there. And the king, waiting for Ehud with his gift, accepted him. And then, after having displayed his gift, Ehud said to the king, Dvar Hashem li'elecha. I have something to tell you. It's a a holy statement. Dvar Hashem, a word about Hashem. Ehud was not Jewish. He was not a believer in the full sense. But he heard the word Dvar Hashem, something holy. In order to get this statement from Ehud, he told all his soldiers, his guards, to leave. And he stood up. He rose up in respect to a word of Hashem. As he did, Ehud suddenly drew this dagger. The king watched him still, watched his left side, didn't think that Ehud was left-handed. He drew the dagger from his right side with his left hand, and he plunged the dagger into Eglon. Eglon was extremely heavy set, very fat. The dagger became embedded completely into the of fat of Eglon so that it couldn't even be seen anymore Egglone fell back on his chair on his seat he was very dead but there was no outcry and Ehud left quickly told the servants of the king the king was busy he was occupied at the time in his private room he should not be disturbed so for a long time afterwards the servants had not disturbed the king until they felt that too much time had elapsed. They entered, they found their king was dead. Once the leader, the king, is gone, the morale of the army naturally becomes lessened, decreases to a point where they are very much weakened. So, this time that the Ahida had mobilized the Jews to attack, in this attack they defeated the army of Moab, they killed over 10,000 soldiers. The rest of the army fled, and In this manner, Ehud rescued the Jews from the oppression of Moab, and they had a period of peace again for eighty years. Until, after Ehud passed away, the Jews turned away from Hashem again again they began to suffer. The Gemara tells us from this story of Ehud we have one vital lesson. Something that every Jew should feel that is, if he does not abide by this rule, he should feel a deep sense of shame. He was speaking about a king who is a non-Jew, a complete, solid goy. And yet when he heard the word of Hashem, he rose up. He stood up to listen to the word of Hashem. The Gemara says, How much more so is it incumbent upon a Jew who has faith who claims to have respect for Hashem, that when he is in Shul, and he hears a, an item of Kedusha, of holiness, the statement of Kedusha, as for example, the Kaddish. Kaddish is the holiest of all the prayers we have. You have the different parts of the Tfilos, the prayers, Shmona Esrei, which is the top, highest level, but then you have prayers that must be answered. A bracha, requires the reply, the answering of amen. The person does not answer amen to a bracha because of neglect and worst of all because he's busy speaking to a friend in shul at the time the Gemara says that person does not deserve to have the power of speech. The uses that as a form of a curse upon that person who speaks dvarim m'telem, idle gossip, idle words in shul, when a bracha, a blessing, is being said. He fails to answer amen, but he deserves to become strict and dumb chas This is by any bracha. Now, there are certain idols that are higher than a bracha. For example, the barchu. Barchu is a higher degree of holiness than a bracha, and if a person has a choice, he hears two items simultaneously one making a bracha or the chazan saying baruchu he must answer the baruchu rather than the omeh for the bracha or if he hears a kadusha kadosh, kadosh 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 that too is higher than omeh of all these levels of holiness by far the highest level of all is the kaddish the words Yehoshim Abba Mavarach person hears a Kaddish, he hears a Barchul, Or in a certain shul where they have different minyanam going on at the same time, you hear one chazan saying a e Barchul, one chazan saying a e kedusha, third one is saying a e Kaddish, the Hei Shmirabba takes preference over all the other blessings, brachas, kedusha, Barchul, and everything else, because the is the highest degree of holiness, the Arizal goes into the depth, Kabbalah, the different heavenly worlds but it penetrated by the saying of this statement also the Gemara says Kaviachal you imagine that Hashem who is called the father of the Jews the Jews are called his children the father who enjoyed having the children together with him in his own home and his own table table means that the shulchan and the mesamikdash. When the Jew brings a sacrifice there, a korban todar a korban and then the meat is divided, but part of it is consumed on the, on the altar, part is eaten by the person who brings it. This is called a korban because it's a it brings close the Jew to Hashem. It's a korban brings peace between Hashem and the Jew. This means that a father has his children with him at the same table enjoying a feast. And when the Jews were driven out into exile, they went out to Golas, Hashem drove His children away from His table. No matter how bad the children are, a father feels very sad about this. Kavyechol, the same thing holds true in heaven. Kavyechol, which means if you can use that term, Hashem is very sad over the fact that He drove His children out. And because of a vow that Hashem made, the Jews must stay in Golas for a, a given period of time, and uh, he cannot, he is not permitted again to bring the Jews back until that time has elapsed. Now here the Gemara says that every time the Jews go to Shul, and they answer Yehoshmira, they are in Golis, For from there they cry out, may the name of Hashem be elevated, be praised to the highest of the heavens, the Olam and the Omeh forever afterwards. Then again there is, we use the word Kavyechol, We can understand that automatically. That at that moment, there are tears shed by Hashem. These tears come down from heaven, and these tears cause different types of uh, reactions, tidal waves, hurricanes, and so forth. Because of the fact that there is a sadness and tear shedding by Hashem over the fact that his children are in Golis, and they are saying this prayer, Hashem and the tears of Hashem are added up. Through these tears, our Ge'ulah is brought much closer. The coming of Mashiach is brought closer. The length of the Golas is shortened. Only because of this prayer, Heshmi In addition, the Zari Kodesh says that we have a Kaddish Yasson. person passes away. The prayer of Kaddish is said for the sake of the departed one a parent, a relative now this Kaddish the words of the Kaddish have nothing to do with death no relation to a child to a yosel, an orphan or a connection with the passing of this person it deals only with the praise to Hashem it's just that there is a hint at it because Yiskadal Yiskadash Shmei The result says the first letters of those four words are Yorash, which means a descendant of one who no longer exists, who is deceased. Aside from that, the entire Kaddish is made as a special blessing prayer of praise to Hashem. And this prayer of praise to Hashem is so exalted that because of it, the neshama of the deceased is taken out of Gehenim each time that the person says this Kaddish. A certain portion of Gehidim, there's a long discussion about this too long to are going to and how effective this Kaddish is for the sake of a person to whom it's being said. This Kaddish being so holy, this is called Devar Hashem, a person who refuses to stand when this Kaddish is being said. At this city, Abba, the city, Rabba, the Yomorah says, this person is lower in respect to Hashem and this Goy, Eglo, the king of Moab, this anti Semite, the one who oppressed the Jews, had more respect for Hashem than a Jew in Shul who should be much closer to Hashem. And that's why the Gemara and the Shekhanarach warn us that this is a common ailment. The question could be asked, of course look at how far spread this disease is. Open your eyes and see. The winter Shul, the middle of the week, or on a Shabbos, or even on a holiday, and observe. The Kaddish is being said, how many people in shul stand up for it? More so, look at how many don't even pay attention to the Kaddish. Aside from remaining seated, they will omit the saying of Omey in the Kaddish and the Yehoshmira. The fact that there are so many who neglect this, are careless about it does not prove that the lesser value of the Kaddish. On the contrary, this shows how holy it is that the Satan, the Baal the Yitzhakara will bend every effort to draw a Jew away from this holiness, and thereby to prolong the Golas, thereby to lengthen his own life. When the Golas is over, the Satan is wiped out. He's doing this to save his own life. And we must realize that this is a battle between the Jews and the Satan. Between Tumah and Kedusha, we must see that the Kedusha prevails. Okay. Respect for Hashem should remain solid. And the Kaddish should always be answered. Never to Allow any Kaddish to go unanswered or any bracha to be left a yoselman often without the word Hameh. This is what's meant by showing respect to Hashem in our small way, and yet it is so vital, so compulsory, that as great as the punishment is for disobeying this, so great is the shachah, the reward for obeying it. Sorry, HaKadosh says there are special sections in heaven where, which are set aside for those who are careful in observing the answering of the Omen, the Kaddish, the brachas, with all their might. All their might means with all their kavona. Pure intent and pure concentration. The next judge that, or rather the next king that rose up against the Jews, after a period of 80 years of quiet with Ehud as a leader, when he passed away, the Jews turned away from Hashem. This time, the king of Canaan Yovin, the King of Canaan took over as the oppressor of the Jews and made the Jewish lives miserable extremely so because he had a general commander in chief of his army whose name was Sisera and this Sisera was extremely cruel he was very wanton in his actions against the Jews he'd walk into a Jewish home in front of the children kill a father without regard for human feelings, or without regard to the number of lives that he took. This reached a proportion of such anguish for the Jews that they began to cry out to Hashem, spare us from this worst of oppressors. At this time, they needed a special, a very special leader. Strangely, we use the word strange, there rose up this time a leader, a woman. Devorah, the prophet, took over as the leader of the Jews. A generation of so many hundreds of thousands of Jews in the world, perhaps millions, not one single man was fit to take over as leader. Wasn't there one Sadik alive then to take over? Same question, of course, could be asked today. Millions of Jews, and you have a woman as a Prime Minister of Israel, Mahavdil, he was speaking about a leader of the Jews, a religious leader, because we do not need a battler, a fighter. We need one who will inject religion, faith into the Jews, and the victory will become automatic. Question, of course, how come that devorah took over? The Gemara discusses this, its pros and cons. The Gemara says this showed how disgraceful the status of the Jews was at that time. They couldn't find one single good man to lead them. same time, the pro sense of it, we are shown that goodness, righteousness, sitkus, is not limited to one side. Deborah was called Aishas Lapidos, the wife of Lapidos. Elora says, "Who was this Lapidos?" We don't find any mention of her husband around. The answer is she was an Aishas Chayel. Aishas Chayel means a woman of valor, capable woman of religion, one of the true Noshim Tzidkarios, to the point that she became a, a, a Navio, a prophetess. Actually, had the word of Hashem spoken to her. <coughs> Why was this so? Because she was Asius Lapidos. Lapidos is really the word Lapid Ash. She was a flaming fire in herself. She davened. She spent time in the study of Torah to her ability. She spent time in doing good deeds at mitzvahs. But everything, with such deep intent, with such a fiery spirit, that it was unmatched by any man alive then, and such a fiery spirit is rewarded. When one serves Hashem with such deep, flaming intent, and Hashem in turn reveals Himself to that person, even if it is a woman, and here was a case where a woman was able to rise to a much higher level than any man at that time. Ivorah became the leader. She became the judge. People actually came to her for trials, for questions in Hebrew law. She was the chief rabbi of the Jews. This we know, of course, today. We do have some women rabbis today. havdil among the reform, which, of course, is forbidden for many reasons. Ivorah, too, asks about one of those reasons. How could she have any connection, communication with men who ask questions, isn't that a lack of tzinius, a lack of modesty Neymar answered: this was done in complete modesty where they could not see her actually there was never any time of yichud where they were alone with her chas v'shoom the laws of tzinius and modesty were upheld to the highest degree and she imparted of her knowledge to those who required it now, being a leader of the Jews, she did not go out to battle herself. We do not have any Mahabdil of Joan of Arc <laughs> battling for the Jews. We did have, at that time, she appointed Barak as the commander-in-chief of the Jews. Barak means lightning. He was called lightning, of Barak, to lead the Jews in battle against the, their arch enemy Sisera. This Cisra had uh, special weapons, advanced type. They were what we call today special Sherman tanks. These were uh, wagons, coaches of metal, very deep, thick, armor-plated. There was no way that soldiers <coughs> could penetrate them with their swords or spears. And for these tanks or coaches, they could shoot at the enemy with arrows, and easily annihilate them. Now, this would seem to be an unfair one-sided battle. And so, Barak said to his leader, Devorah, I cannot go into this battle myself. Physically, we stand no chance. But if you will promise to come with us to lend us your moral support, then we'll go and fight. Dolores said, I will come with you simply to show you that it is not, that when you do win this battle, it's not because of your physical prowess, but it's because the spirit of Hashem will be there to help you. So they went into this battle. The battle was a very difficult, lengthy one. And in this battle, Sisra and his 900 tanks were completely defeated. Tanks were demolished, the army was wiped out, and Cicero himself, the wicked Cicero, escaped on foot. <coughs> His intention was to go back to Yuba, the king of Canaan, and to resupply himself with a new army, wait for a second chance to do battle, perhaps start the battle on Euchyptera someday when it might like enjoy a better victory. However, he had to get back to his own country first, his own lines. Traveling on foot, going, was very difficult. He became very exhausted and had to replenish, resupply himself with renewed energy. He looked for a place to stay over to eat and rest, and he saw a small hut in the woods. He decided to stop there. When he came to the hut, he saw no one there but a woman. The woman was there was Yoel, Ashes Heberachini. This woman, Yoel, was standing outside, waiting, and as he came by, he asked her if she'd be kind enough to give him some food, place lodging temporarily, and she said to him, certainly, come in. In fact, I've been expecting you. I've awaited this pleasure of serving so famous a general. He felt flattered. He came in. He sat down to relax. And she told him, I'll give you something warm to drink. Warm is warm milk. Here the Yamara says that she wanted to put him to sleep to weaken him. He was very strong physically. She had no one to help her there. A woman to do battle with a man of this size, this uh, physical strength, would be an impossible uh, match. So the plan was to get him to sleep and then to, to finish him off. How do you get a person to sleep who has insomnia? There are different types of pills in the market, different types of methods. He says the best thing is warm milk. This could put a person to sleep better even than wine. So she offered him this warm milk, and then she still felt that there was no chance to overpower him. But here the Gemara tells us that for what she did next, she received a blessing that was equal to the blessing of the mothers of the Jews, the Imahos, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah. Four mothers of the Jews, who were the holiest women in all of history, in this case, Yoel was compared to them. She did something which was not a mitzvah, it was far from a mitzvah. Yet the Gemara says that a person who does something with good intentions could receive credit for having performed the greatest mitzvah possible. She committed the worst type of sin, the worst type of crime. She offered herself to Sisra in order to weaken him and put him to sleep. Now, naturally, Neymar says that she felt a sense of disgust at this. It was extremely nauseating to her, but she degraded herself to this point for the sake of bringing victory to the Jews, for the sake of wiping out, killing, the arch enemy of the Jews. This is what is called a vera a sin for the sake of the honor of Hashem. And because she sacrificed herself, in committing this act, she received the highest blessings possible. And we'd like to avoid going into anything that is uh, above our mental capacity meaning into the realm of Kaboa, But it would pay to mention just one word here. The Arizal reveals where, what was the greatness of this woman? Aili, Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol at the time of Shmuel Hanavi was the same person. She was a woman with the soul of a man the word Yoel, with the three letters Eili. It was the same neshama reincarnated once as Yoel, the woman, and once as Eili, the Now How this is possible to have a neshama both serve as male and female is a long and separate topic in Kabbalah. We cannot come into that now. Just to uh, point out the greatness of this woman Yoel, whom, about whom Devorah the prophetess sang a special song of praise to Hashem in which she praised the act of yoyal most importantly the Gemara stresses here is that it is possible for a person to serve Hashem and do something which would appear to be sinful an act of sin and be regarded as a greater tzaddik than those who serve Hashem in doing mitzvot. it is the heart of that Hashem wants the says, is liba boy." Hashem wants the heart of a person the intent not the action you cannot make Hashem rich you cannot satisfy Hashem by doing an act of a mitzvah because there is no actual gain on the part of Hashem by any act that you do you prove nothing with it but if your heart is pure your intentions are to completely serve your master your creator your king and that is a sincere one, a pure and sincere intention. That is what Hashem recognizes as true devotion. So, no matter what the act is, if the devotion and sincerity is there, this is what's meant by serving Hashem truly. Here we have a case of Gedolah Avera Lishmore, Mimitzah Mitzvah Shalalishmore. A person who does a Mitzvah, the highest Mitzvah, without sincere intentions, is doing less and a person who commits a sin with sincere intentions. Uh, for example, the Midrash says that a person who might be illiterate, who cannot read Hebrew well, and if you do not pronounce the words correctly, instead of saying a blessing dash, it might be the opposite. It might be something that's very insulting or even a curse, Pastor Shown. And a person who cannot read well does not know the translations, but speaks the words of of prayer to Hashem with a sincerity and devotion, and pronounces these blessings as curses. they are accepted by Hashem with a deep love and deep acceptance, more so than a person who pronounces them perfectly and says words that are words of praise. But Lugo alai Ahava, Hashem says alai Ahava. A person can make to mock Hashem with his words, but if they are said with deep love, deep affection and sincerity, they are accepted by Hashem in the same manner. After this victory by uh, Yael over Sisera, now of course, when this took this transpired, the Yael had gotten Sisera to a point of weakness where he fell asleep. Again, she showed her metal. This time she had courage by taking a stake, a metal uh, nail, long metal nail and a hammer. And she had Cicero, she laid him on the ground face up. And very methodically, very coolly and calmly, she nailed his head to the ground. A hole right through his forehead into the ground. Of course, this gave him a large size headache never woke up to realize this. It was a very fast one-way trip to Gehenna. A few minutes later, Borah came riding by quickly and he asked if she had seen any trace of Cicero. She said there, that's about all that was left of it was just a trace. She brought him inside and Borah was overjoyed seeing the arch enemy of the Jews finally dead. He reported this to Devorah and then they had the special song of praise by Devorah, in which she gave thanks to Hashem for the miracles that had occurred. And for a period of 40 more years, there was peace and happiness among the Jews, or rather 50 years. <laughs> Following this, we come to a list of other uh, judges, each one with a different, exciting type of story. We'll take these up subsequently. Let's only say that we hope that these words will penetrate. We will begin to show our respect to Hashem in every manner, in tefillah, the study of Torah, and obey the mitzvahs of the Torah, and then we will merit the eventually.